great day to worship the Lord. I'm glad you're all here. In looking at the announcements today, I, um, I don't know if there's anyone here that hasn't been here before. I know uh, Mark Bauer, who will be bringing the message today, his son Josh is seated over here, so we want to welcome him today. Uh, today we uh, will be looking at John 20 as we open the word, and uh, again, we are so pleased to have Mark Bauer from Grace Baptist Church in Canton with us this morning who will be bringing us the message. Also, we want to announce that on Tuesday that at 6 p.m., the Young Men's Bible Study through Romans will be at the home of the Smiths. So we want to, uh, what a great program that is. We uh, will also be meeting on Zoom for prayer meeting on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. I'd like to see you all there. There's plenty of seats. So... Um, and then next Sunday, we will be back to our normal um, uh, worship service, uh, 9.45 Sunday School, 11, uh, 11 o'clock morning worship service. Lunch will be served, and then meeting again at 1.45 in the afternoon as we gather around the Lord's table. And that's all the announcements that I have this morning. <clears throat> and now... Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12.2. Would you just take a minute and prepare your hearts to worship the Lord this, after, or this morning? Okay, now <clears throat> let's go to our the call of worship, which is found in your bulletin. This is taken from Psalm 66. If you would please all stand. Shout. 
Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. All the earth will worship you. They will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Okay, if you would all turn to, in your Trinity hymnals, to hymn number 218. Hymn number 218, all hail the power of Jesus' name.
please remain uh, standing for prayer. Dale. We're told in the header of this song, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder today of who it is that we have come before to worship, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Uh, We thank you for each one here that has gathered with us, Though our numbers are small in this place, yet we gather with the innumerable host before your throne this day to sing praises to your name, to cry out to you for help, uh, to um, bring our cares and burdens before you, and to shout praises, uh, thankful, uh, thanksgiving for all that you have done in our behalf. We thank you for guiding us through another year. We ask that you would take us by the hand, each one individually and us as a corporate body. Take us by the hand and lead us through the coming year, O Lord Jesus. We pray that your word would go forth in this place today. Strengthen those who must read it and read and preach it. That you would give them power from on high and that you would come and walk among us and bless us. We need you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Now if you turn in your hymns of grace to hymn number 308, 308. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.
He is risen. Please open your Bibles now to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. I read a commentary this uh, week uh, regarding this verse, and I like what it says. I don't know who the author is, but I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's a good uh, summary of this chapter, chapter 20. And it says this, John 20 ushers in the victory of the resurrection, turning mourning into joy, doubt into faith, and fear into courage. This chapter underscores that Jesus, through his resurrection, inaugurated a new era of life, not just life after death, but a life of wholeness, purpose, and hope that begins now and extends into eternity. It encourages us to move beyond the boundaries of doubt and fear to embrace the new life that Jesus offers, end quote. I'll be reading from the King James Version this morning, and so beginning at chapter 20, we ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his precious word. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And in stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the other linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, 
If thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, that they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of, of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then, then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Oh, heavenly Father, the Most High God, we come unto you this morning with joyful hearts, thankful that this is again your day. It is the Lord's day. We ask, Father, that you might forgive us our sins and cleanse our hearts this morning, that we may hear the word preached and that we might believe. We thank you, Father, for your love toward us, for your goodness toward us. We thank you, Father, for the challenges and the trials and the tribulations that come our way. 
And in doing so, it is building us into the image of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our loved ones. We thank you for this, our church family. We ask, Lord, that you will continue to help us love one another from the heart. We pray, Father, that you would use us as instruments of your love, that we might share the gospel in our daily walk, that by our very lives we might adorn the gospel. Give us courage, Father, to present the gospel to fellow co-workers, to uh, unsaved loved ones. And we ask, Lord, that you would send them our way. Help us to be sensitive that we might not turn away from someone who needs you desperately. Father, we thank you for the Brookdale ministry this morning and and the blessings that you have showered us with. And we pray, Father, for those residents at Brookdale that, that eyes would be opened, that hearts would be opened by the Lord to receive the good news. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you, may today be the day of salvation. Father, we, we pray for the nations of the world this morning and the wars that are taking lives. Father, we pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Father, for um, your word to go forth in that country and We pray, Father, that even as a result of the occurrences there now, that that many would flee to Christ. We pray, Father, for those who are doing missionary work around the world, that their work would be fruitful and that they would continue to be the sower of seeds and that they would bear fruit. Father, we are approaching a new year. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that you would make your presence known among your family, and may your adopted family continue to grow even in this dark world that we still live in. We pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to work and to bless our lives, to pour out grace upon us, to help us to stand firm against temptation. We pray, Father, that you might help us to hate evil, to hate sin as you do. So, Father, now as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would bless Mark Bauer. Pray that the, his words would go out amongst those here and Um, those who are watching uh, by internet, we pray that um, it would bear fruit 
and that you would be glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now if you would turn again to your Trinity hymn books, to hymn number 393. Hymn number 393, Come Ye Sinners. And please stand if you are able.
Well, good morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. At Grace Baptist Church, we have been periodically looking at different events, significant events in the life of Peter. So today I would like to share with you one of those events as we consider the event when Jesus restores Peter. So if you're with me in John chapter 21, if you would follow along as I read verses 15 through 17 of John 21. And I'll be reading from the ESV. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Well, please join me now as we come to our God and ask for his help as we consider these verses and how we can apply them to our lives. Please join me as we pray. Oh, our dear God, we bow before you again this day, and and we humbly seek your help. Lord, how desperately we need you. We need you every hour. And how much more we need you when we come to your word, to consider your word, your holy truth, and to look into it and to seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct our consideration this day of these verses, of of this passage, of, of this account of Jesus restoring Peter. And as we do so, may you help us to learn lessons that we can apply even to our own lives. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have reached the uh, last day of the year 2023, many people will tend to look back at the past year. And as some reflect on events in their lives, there may be moments of, of regret, times in which they see that they have sinned, For we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we think of specific sins that we may have committed, perhaps sins against someone whom we love, we may still have deep sorrow in our heart as we reflect upon those sins. And although we have confessed our sin, and we have repented, and we have asked for forgiveness, the sin which we committed may have been so severe that it may have damaged our relationship with the one we love. And, And even after our loved one has forgiven us, 
That process of restoration may be challenging. For we know that not all sins can be easily covered with a blanket of love. And the person that committed that sin may doubt. They may wonder, can I, will I ever be restored? Well, it's possible that Peter experienced some of these same doubts. As we look at Peter, we find a man who who sinned grievously against Jesus. Jesus, the one with whom Peter had spent the past three years as a disciple. And during that time, Peter has heard Jesus' teaching, his teaching as one who has authority. He has seen Jesus' many miracles, miracles of compassion, healing every disease and every affliction, his casting out of demons, his feeding of the thousands, even his raising of the dead. And Peter has also witnessed Jesus' great miracles of power as he even spoke a word and caused the wind and the waves to be stilled on a storm-tossed sea. And during that time with Jesus, Peter had undoubtedly developed a close relationship with Jesus, a relationship in which Peter loved Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was Peter's Lord and his master. Jesus was the one whom Peter loved. He loved him dearly. And it was against Jesus that Peter sinned. Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter's sin is all the more grievous, for we know that Jesus had warned Peter in Luke 22:34, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. But Peter objected. He disagreed with Jesus. And in his response to Jesus' warning, Peter proudly, boastfully proclaimed, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. But as we know, Peter failed. And later that night, after Jesus was taken away by the mob, when Peter was in that courtyard of the high priest, Peter was questioned. And the essence of the questions to Peter was, do you know Jesus? Three times Peter was questioned. Three times Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And that third time, Peter did so with great passion. For we are told in Matthew 26, 74, that Peter even began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man. And as the words of his third denial were on his lips, the rooster crowed. Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, his warning. And Peter was broken. He was convicted of his sin, and he wept bitterly. And I believe it's at this point that Peter has been cut to the heart And he repents of his sin. But since that fateful night, much has happened. 
Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb. And on the third day, early in the morning, the women went to anoint the body. They found that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And they were told that Jesus had risen. And upon hearing the news, Peter and John ran to the tomb. And when they arrived, they found that the tomb was empty. Later that day, Jesus appeared. The risen Savior, he appeared to the disciples, including Peter. And then after this first day, there were other appearances. But now, we find Peter and several of the other disciples in Galilee, at the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And it's on this day, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, we will see the love and the gracious heart of Jesus as Jesus restores Peter. And we will hear in Jesus' words of restoration that Peter is not cast aside as damaged goods due to his sin. Peter is restored to a, position, to a position of usefulness to Christ and to his church. And as we consider the restoration of Peter, we will use this following outline. First, we will look at Jesus' questions to Peter. Do you love me? And then secondly, we will look at Jesus' commission to Peter. Feed my sheep. And then finally, we will look at some lessons for us from these passages. So Jesus questions Peter. In verse 15 through 17, Jesus questions Peter three times. In verse 15, we read, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then again, in verse 16, we read, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? In verse 17, we read, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, first we notice in Jesus' first question to Peter, in verse 15, we read that as Jesus asks the question to Peter, do you love me? Jesus adds this phrase, more than these. The phrase more than is used when normally people are seeking to make a comparison. In this case, it appears that Jesus is not only asking if Peter loves him, but Jesus is asking Peter about the relative level of love that Peter has for him as compared to these. Do you love me more than these? Well, what then are the these that Jesus is referring to? Well, there are some who believe that Jesus is referring to fishing. We read of Peter going fishing in John chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. If you would turn with me and look at this passage as we read of the account of Peter going fishing, we see in John 21, in verse 1, we read, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, I will go, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, 
But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Well, for those who believe that Jesus is referring to fishing, as he asked this first question, they suggest that Peter's return to fishing that night is an indication that Peter is abandoning Jesus and that Peter is returning to his secular vocation of fishing. And therefore, they conclude, Jesus is questioning Peter's love to him in comparison to fishing. In effect, they think that Peter is being asked this question, do you love me more than you love fishing? But I find that it is doubtful that Jesus is asking if Peter loved Jesus more than fishing. Peter and the other disciples who joined him in fishing had gone to Galilee in obedience to Jesus' command. Recall Jesus' words to his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. In Mark 14, 28, he says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then also after his resurrection, in Mark 16, 7, the words of the angels to the women at the empty tomb, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Peter and the other disciples had been told that after Jesus was raised, that the resurrected Jesus was going to Galilee and that they too should go to Galilee. Thus, it seems clear to me that Peter and the other disciples came to Galilee in obedience to Jesus. And as they were there by the Sea of Galilee, they had not abandoned Jesus. They were waiting for Jesus. And while they were waiting, Peter and the disciples who joined him were making good use of their time, and they went fishing. As one commentator notes, There is no evidence that Peter was abandoning the commission he had received in order to return to fishing. And meanwhile, while waiting for Jesus, it was better for Peter to employ his time usefully rather than remain idle. Another man notes, the disciples still must eat. But also note Peter's response after a night of unsuccessful fishing. When Jesus, who stood along the shore, told them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And when they had cast their net, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then in John 21, 7, we read that the disciple whom Jesus had loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And we see Peter's response. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped of for work and threw himself into the sea. Peter abandons the boat. P- 
Peter abandons all of these fish, this great catch of fish. And he throws himself into the sea and he wades to the shore to be with his Lord. This does not sound like the actions of a man who has abandoned Jesus for fishing. No, instead, as soon as Peter realizes that Jesus had arrived, Peter abandons fishing and goes to be with Jesus. And therefore, I believe it is, it's not likely that Jesus is here referring to fishing when he includes this phrase, more than these, in his first question to Peter. But what then are the these that Jesus is referring to? Well, many commentators see this as a comparison to the relative love of the other disciples. We know in the past, Peter has often been caught up in prideful debates with the other disciples, arguing over who was the greatest. And further recall in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, when Jesus had warned Peter and the other disciples that they would all fall away, Peter had boastfully responded and said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Asserting that his faithfulness, his love for Jesus, was far greater than the other disciples. So it appears that Jesus' first question is a question that is asking Peter about the relative level of love that Peter has for Jesus as compared to to the love of the other disciples. And therefore, we could read Jesus' question this way. Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Do you love me more than these? These other disciples love me. But we might ask ourselves this question. Why would Jesus ask Peter to compare his love to the level of love that the other disciples had for him? Well, I find this comment from Leon Morris very helpful. He writes, It's difficult to think that Jesus would invite one of his followers to compare the strength of his love with that of other disciples. Yet, it must be remembered that Peter explicitly professed a devotion to Christ that exceeded that of the other disciples. It may be that Christ is asking Peter whether in light of what has since happened, does he still think that his love for Christ exceeds that of all the others? And this, to me, seems the most likely reason for Jesus adding this phrase, more than these, to his first question to Peter. It's to determine if Peter is still willing to boastfully compare himself and his love for Jesus relative to that of the other disciples. Well, to this first question of Jesus, how then does Peter respond? Does he respond with a boastful claim that the strength of his love for Jesus exceeds that of all the other disciples? Well, no. I believe that in Peter's response, we find a note of humility. His response is simply this. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in his response, I suggest that we see that Peter is a changed man. He has learned from his failure. He has been humbled. And he is no longer boastfully seeking to compare himself with the other disciples. 
And as Peter responds to Jesus' question, he will not dare to compare the strength of his love to the other disciples. He is only willing to humbly affirm his love to Jesus. I love you. Well, then Jesus goes on to ask Peter a second time, do you love me? And then a third time Jesus asks, do you love me? While there has been much written about the Greek verbs that are used by John as he records these questions of Jesus and Peter's answer, yet Peter understood the essence of Jesus' three questions to him. He understood that they were questions that focused on love. Jesus' fundamental question was this, Do you love me? For notice in John 21, verse 17, we read, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He was grieved not due to the changes in the question being asked. The reason for his grief is because Jesus had asked him the third time, Do you love me? The threefold repetition of this question of his love undoubtedly reminded Peter of his threefold denial. And I am sure that it was this that brought grief to Peter. As he thought back to that night, a heartbreaking night, when he had denied Jesus three times, Peter knew he had failed. Peter knew he had sinned against his Lord and his Master, the one whom he loved. And being asked a third time, do you love me, likely cut him to the heart. And as Peter responds to Jesus' third question, Peter appeals to Jesus' knowledge of all things. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. For he understood that Jesus knows all things. And therefore, Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus knew better than Peter himself that Peter has repented and Peter loves Jesus. But it's interesting that it's a question of love. It's not a question of knowledge. Jesus does not ask Peter, are you now ready to confess my name before all men, to proclaim that you know me, to declare that I am the Christ, and to publicly associate yourself with me, and to acknowledge that you are one of my disciples. Even though that it was to these types of questions that Peter had failed when Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. It's a question of love, an important question for Peter to answer. Leon Morris writes this, Was Peter ready to love Christ as Christ was? a Christ who had suffered and died on a cross. Recall Peter's prior words when Jesus had foretold that he would suffer and die. Peter responded and said, Far be it from you, Lord. And also recall Peter's actions when the mob came to take Jesus. Peter responded by foolishly drawing his sword and ready to fight for Jesus rather than seeing him taken away. These words and actions of Peter 
suggests that Peter had not wanted a Messiah, a Christ, who would suffer and die. It seems that Peter's desire, his hope, was to have a Messiah, a Christ, who would restore the nation, who would be an earthly king, who would reign victoriously over the nation. So this question for Peter is important. Was Peter able to love Jesus, a crucified Lord? Well, we find that Peter has grown. Peter is ready to unflinchingly express his love for Jesus, his crucified Lord. And we see this in Peter's answers to Jesus. Questions. Each time he affirms his love to Jesus, he also acknowledges that Jesus is his Lord. He says, yes, Lord. Jesus, the one who suffered at the hands of sinful man. Jesus, who died the cruel and humiliating death on a cross. Jesus, who is a stumbling block to the Jews and who is foolishness to the Greeks. Jesus is Peter's Lord. And Peter emphatically declares his love for Jesus, his Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, in answer to Jesus' three questions, we have seen that Peter has humbly professed his sincere love for Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to define what Peter's future role will be in the church. As one man puts it, our Lord proceeds to tell Peter how that love is to be shown and to give Peter his commission for the future. And this brings us to our second point. Jesus commissions Peter. During this restoration process, it is clear that it is Jesus who is in control. Jesus is the one who is asking the questions. And Jesus is the one who now defines the role in which Peter will serve. For we know that it is the Lord who gives gifts to his church. It is the Lord who gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to serve the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus clearly defines Peter's future role by the commands that he gives to Peter. Each time, following Peter's response to Jesus' questions, Jesus then gives Peter a command. We see it in verse 15. Jesus commands Peter, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, he commands Peter, tend my sheep. And then in verse 17, Again, he commands Peter, feed my sheep. Each command, slightly different, but each related to the work of a shepherd. And this is the work which Jesus has for Peter. As Peter is restored, he is commissioned to do the work of a shepherd, to feed and to tend both the lambs and the sheep. The lambs, who may represent newly converted Christians or those who may have less knowledge or perhaps who are weak in their faith, and as well as the sheep, the more mature, the more spiritually-minded Christians, those that might be stronger in their faith. Peter is to shepherd the entire flock of Christ, the church, which is made up of both lambs and sheep. 
And the work of a shepherd is a work that's described as feeding. He is to feed them with the food that is suitable to them. For the lambs, those new to the faith or weak in their understanding of the truth, he's to feed them as newborn babes, to feed them with the pure spiritual word of God. While the sheep, those that are more mature, they are to be fed with the solid word, the food from God. In each case, the shepherd is to feed the flock food that will nourish them, food that will strengthen them, food that will encourage them and build them up in their faith. And it's a work that is also described as tending. To tend, it's a more comprehensive word that brings in all the aspects of a shepherd. It includes the work of guiding and directing the sheep to bring them to green pastures where they can find nourishment for their souls, to lead them beside the still waters, where they can find refreshment when they are weary from their battles with sin, and to lead them in the paths of righteousness, teaching them the will of God for their lives. And the work of tending also includes the work of caring for the needs of the flock, to bind the injured and the suffering, to uphold and carry the weak, to bring back those who have strayed from the flock, to seek out and to rescue those who are lost. And furthermore, it includes the work of protecting the flock, to defend the lambs and the sheep against the fierce wolves from without and false prophets who may come in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves to guard against anyone or anything that would seek to devour and destroy the flock of Jesus. The work of a shepherd, it's not a glamorous work. It's a humble work. It's a work of service. It's a work of self-sacrifice. But it's also a work that requires love. Love for Jesus. For is this not the question that Jesus has asked Peter before giving him his commission? Do you love me? It's love for Jesus that will produce in Peter a heart's desire to obey Jesus, to obey his command to feed and tend the lambs and the sheep, to obey his command to do the work of a shepherd. Love for Jesus that will produce in Peter a love for the church. As Peter does the work of a shepherd, he will need love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. As J.C. Ryle notes, the grand test of love is usefulness to others, to think of others, to care for others, to do good for others, to reduce the sorrows and to increase the joys of others. Peter's commission to feed and tend the flock is a call to actively demonstrate his love in tangible ways to all of Christ's sheep. Love for Jesus that will also produce in Peter a willingness to go and to seek the lost sheep. Jesus had said earlier that there are other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. 
to do the work of a shepherd, Peter must be willing to leave the 99 sheep and to seek after the one lost sheep. And it's love for Jesus that will produce in Peter a boldness to preach the gospel to the Jews. It is love for Jesus that will produce in Peter a submissive heart that will give him a willingness and readiness to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. It is love for Jesus that will produce in Peter a burden to seek and to save those who are lost. Peter's love for Jesus. It's a love that is in response to Jesus' love for Peter. For it is Jesus who first loved him. Jesus has experienced the love of Jesus. Peter has been forgiven much. Despite his great sin of having denied Jesus, Peter may have forsaken Jesus that night, but Jesus had not forsaken Peter. Jesus did even more. Jesus loved Peter. And that love of Jesus, the good shepherd, was shown by him willingly laying down his life for the sheep. This greatest demonstration of love in that Jesus suffered and died on the cross for undeserving, rebellious, selfish sinners, even for Peter, a man who denied him three times. Jesus loved Peter, and Peter now expresses his love for Jesus, his Lord and his Savior. So we have seen in these verses that the fundamental question to Peter was a question of love. Do you love me? A question that Jesus asked three times. And Peter answered each time, Yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus commissions Peter to his future role, to do the work of a shepherd of the church, to feed and tend the lambs and the sheep. Leon Morris writes, There can be little doubt, but that the whole scene is meant to show us Peter has completely restored. He has three times denied his Lord. Now he has three times affirmed his love for him. And three times he has been commissioned to tend the flock. Well, what lessons then can we learn from the restoration of Peter? Well, one lesson I believe we can learn from this is that there is hope. There is hope for future usefulness in Christ's kingdom despite our past sins. We see the grace and the love of Jesus who restored Peter, and we can find hope. Our Lord is able to use broken, humbled believers who love him to serve him and to serve his church. But we must wait patiently for the Lord to take the initiative to restore us to a position of service. As Ted Donnelly notes, when we fall into sin, as we do, we cannot restore ourselves to God's favor or presume to reclaim a place among his servants. For this, we are entirely dependent upon the gracious initiative of Jesus Christ. Remember that it is the Lord who will define the time. 
It is the Lord who will define the place. And it is the Lord who will define the manner in which we are to serve him. But when he has made it clear, and when he has opened a door of service for us, we should be ready and willing to serve Jesus, to do the work which Jesus has defined for us to do. But then secondly, we see the need of humility in any who will serve Christ and his church. This was a lesson that Peter learned the hard way. Peter, who was proud, was humbled by his sin. And we know that it is only after Peter had been humbled that Jesus then commissions him to his work of serving as a shepherd of the church. For we know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we need to be humble as we seek to serve our Lord. We need to be ready to deny ourselves, to serve in whatever capacity the Lord defines, whether it be great or whether it be small, to serve the Lord, not for our own glory and praise, but to serve the Lord for his glory and for the good of his church. But then thirdly, as we seek to learn lessons from the restoration of Peter, we learn that love is one of the essential characteristics needed to serve Christ and his church. Love for Jesus. Jesus, our crucified Lord and our Savior. Jesus, who willingly died on the cross for our sins. And as we remember what Jesus has done for us, his sacrifice for us, May our love for Jesus cause us to serve in such a way that Christ and his church are the priority of our lives and that we would give our all, that we would give our best as we seek to serve him. And may our love for Jesus also produce in us a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a love that we demonstrate by bearing one another's burdens, by being patient with our brother by seeking their good, by encouraging them and exhorting them and praying for them, loving them in tangible ways. When we see a brother or sister in need and we have the world's goods, let us not close our hearts against them, but let us help them. Let us love in deed and in truth. Well, as we look forward to 2024, even if we have sinned in the past, even if we have failed the Lord, even like Peter had failed, we can find hope that our gracious Lord will restore us. For he can use broken, humbled believers who love him to serve him and to serve his church. But then finally, before we close, There are some here today that when you are asked the question, do you love Jesus? If you're honest, your answer is no. So it is to you that I plead with you today. Look to the good shepherd. See the one who laid down his life for the sheep. See his love. How can you sit there coldly and refuse to respond to his love? I plead with you, humble yourselves, cry out to the Lord, confess your sin, 
and your love of self and ask Jesus to give you a heart that would love him. He will hear you. He will not cast you aside, but he will give you a new heart, a heart that will love him and that he will then bring you into his flock even this day. Well, let us close our time now as we come to God in prayer. Oh, our dear God, we bow before you and we are so thankful that you are a gracious and merciful God. Lord, we confess how often we fail, how often we sin. Lord, you do not cast us aside. Lord, you are still able to use repentant, broken, humbled sinners even for the work of your church. And we pray, our Father, that you would help us as we have repented from our sin and as we seek and and hope and wait for opportunities to serve. When you do open those doors for service, may may we be ready and willing to serve you and to serve you with love and humility. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have hope, hope of restoration, even as we look forward to this coming year. And for those that do not know you, for those that do not love you, Lord, we do plead, open their hearts to see a loving Savior. Give them a heart that would love you. Turn their hearts from themselves, turn their hearts to you, and save them even this day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we close our time of worship, if you would turn with me in Hymns of Grace to number 184. 184, Come, Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Number 184 in Hymns of Grace. Please stand with me as we sing this hymn.